Hello and welcome to the High Ticket Offer. If you're a service-based business owner, this is the podcast for you. Whether you're an agency owner, coach, consultant, or other B2B leader, we're featuring actionable advice and practical tips for scaling to seven figures with premium pricing and right fit clients. Today, I'm honored to be joined by a man who has impacted my understanding of sales and wealth mindset very deeply. He's the founder of Yes Express, a company where he teaches outdoor living contractors the systems that grant the ability to successfully sell on the worst day of your life. He's also the co-founder of Brand U Media, a business that helps high-performing coaches and serial entrepreneurs amplify their impact and purpose with video content strategy. Joshua Gillo, welcome to the High Ticket Offer. Noah, thank you for having me on. That's quite the intro you got there. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Well, hey, Josh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, you know, there's, what I, there's so much that we'll unpack in our conversation today, I have no doubt, but why don't you just kind of introduce us to your background, your humble beginnings, you know, take us back to the cornfields of, of Pennsylvania around <laughs> the time, you know, around the time you started your first business today, you're a serial entrepreneur, you operate several companies, you know, many in the outdoor living space, but kind of take us back in time to around the time you entered the business world. Absolutely, dude. One of the first memories I have of this whole entrepreneurial journey was when I was about five years old, and my mother still has a picture of this, but I had a little red wagon, one of those, one of those radio flyer wagons, and I was pulling it around and, and I was thinking, you know, my parents didn't give me any money. I had to earn it. And, you know, it was like, all right, well, I want to, I'm five and I'd love to have some money to go down to this little store that was close to us. And so I said, what if, and we, I have to back that up a little bit. Well, my mother had just started a garden center at that point. So she was selling extra plants that she had raised to the public. And I was like, wait a minute here. So I see there's flowers out by the road. Like we had a, a main highway running there and there was some tiger lilies growing along there. So I said, what if I go out and pot those up? I might be able to sell them for a dollar. And that was big money at five, right? So I took my little red yeah. wagon out there and I grabbed those, those uh, lilies and I brought them in and I put them there for a dollar and people started buying them, especially when I stood there and said, do you want to buy my flowers, right? And I did the same with rocks. Yeah. I went around looking for rocks and quartzite, <laughs> whatever it could be and put them out for, you know, oftentimes just for donations. And the crazy part was I saw uh, very early on how you can bring value to people, right? So that's really the gold. Sales is all about just bringing value. And you know, I saw a, a way to solve a problem for somebody. And at five years old, the seed was planted, right? And then I grew up in my yeah. family's business and learned so much of what I know now, especially about hard work and dedication. My parents and my brother, we all grew up together doing that and made a lot of great decisions, a lot of bad decisions, but learned, right? And throughout that entire time frame in those cornfields of Pennsylvania, I, uh, you know, we never got paid. My brother and I never got paid. We lived, we had food, we had, we went on vacation, things like that. It was very uh, humble beginnings in, the, in that sense. But what I learned back then, Noah, is that there's so much more to life than money. Money is part of it. It's a, it's a byproduct of, of a great value add, right? So that's where I learned and cut my teeth in that world there. In that, uh, and I'd, I'd never take a moment back from that. When people are like, you didn't get paid when you worked there? I said, nope, from five to 18, didn't see a cent. But I learned so much more than money. It's crazy. Wow. No, that's, that's awesome. So, so you, you operated in the family business, mm -hmm. it was a garden center. And then 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty early on, I don't know, you know, the exact time scale around 18, when you're becoming young, a young man, you started your own business, right? That is correct. Yeah. So at 18, my brother, who's about 18 months younger than me, and I, we started getting a lot of people coming in the garden center and saying, hey, look at all these, these trees, whatever out. Do your, do your boys install this stuff? And at the time I'm thinking like, well, we could, I mean, we're, we worked on farms and on Sunday or on Saturday and Sundays to make 20 bucks just so we can go buy, you know, good investable things like RC car parts. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, we had, we had high, uh, interesting priorities back then, but anyway, so the point would be that, you know, it's yeah. So starting out like that as a family business, when those clients came in and asked, I'm thinking, you know what? I wonder if they'll pay us. <laughs> It'd be nice to make yeah. some money doing stuff. And then when I realized that they would, they'd pay us next thing you know, we're, you know, we were offered a thousand dollars a day to work. And I'm like a thousand dollars a day. Yeah. Noah, there's seven days in a week. Right? <laughs> so I'm doing right. the math real quick and I'm like, we're going to be rich. This is amazing. <laughs> right. So yeah. anyway, that's how it all started. We, we built a company around that. And I worked with the family for 15 additional years after that, building that company and, and, um, you know, designing and installing amazing outdoor living spaces for, for our clients all over Eastern Pennsylvania. So that's, that's where my first business venture kind of, you know, from my own starting or from our own starting started out. Oh man, that's crazy. That's crazy. I remember I had a similar experience when I, uh, you know, I obviously own my own podcast agency today, but, um, before that way, you know, a couple of years ago, um, probably about five to six years ago, I just was freelancing. Um, and I remember before that I had, uh, worked at a, a grocery store here in the, you know, Green Bay, Wisconsin area. And I remember, um, and of course, you know, this rates have changed since then, but at the time, a full-time like grocery store clerk at that grocery store was making $650 a week when they were full-time. And I remember I had one client, it was like the first or second client I got in podcasting. And that was actually like to the number, our contract agreement was $650 a week. And I felt like a king, you know? Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's just, I, I, I always love those stories. Like when you first get into the business world and you first get a sense of, you know, how to, uh, name your price and, um, you know, just the freedom that comes along with that. But so Josh, tell us about your first real business. Um, you know, it was, it was a landscaping business, but it design build, but how, how is it very different from the companies you operate today? Because I sense that, you know, it wasn't always a walk in the park. Oh, it was definitely not a walk in the park. And no, you know, the funny part is when you get your EIN number from the government, they say, here's, here's the, uh, the process and how you can pay me taxes, but everything yeah. else is on you. You don't get any kind of business tutelage. You don't get any mentors. You don't get any schooling. They don't give you a manual on how to run a business. You got to figure that shit out on your own. Right. And that's just what it is. You're either going to go at it the way your parents did. If you watch that model and you're like, we're just going to repeat that, or we're going to take that thing, take it all the way down to the studs, figure out what works and what doesn't work. And then to rebuild that. Right. So I had the opportunity to do that many times now, which has been amazing, but it's just starting out in the very beginning, watching my parents run a business. You know, they weren't business people. My mother was a cashier at a, at a, at a grocery store and then a stay at home mom. My father was a meat cutter for a local uh, grocery store. And so they didn't come from business. They were the first ones in their families to have a business. So I have such respect for them to take the risk and jump out there and start something that no one else, they had no model around them. So they did the best they possibly could and taught so much in that. And my father was from the farm. So that was a lot of the hard work, you know, uh, the deep work ethic. 
Anyway, so, you know, when it comes to the start in the business, you, you just try things, right? And I was so afraid to fail back then, my goodness, because I'm like, if I did something and someone saw that I didn't know what I was doing, and then it was like, you had this, all this, this negative chatter in your head, and you're yeah. just trying to figure this out. And you think everyone else has everything figured out. That was another big thing that if I reflect on it now, I'm thinking, it looked like everybody else knew what they were doing. And I didn't realize then that they're, they're just guessing like I am. They're just hoping that their guesses, you get more positive than negative guesses, right? At the end of the day. But uh, it's, it's, it's a passion, right? You get into it. And for in the beginning, it was just basic type of work that we did, you know, cleanups and things like that. And eventually people started asking for bigger projects and we started designing and started a lot of different ways of doing that because conveying the idea to the client, make sure we're on the same page, all of that. And that's where at a certain point, Noah, I started to feel like, and this is where I struggle with a lot is I thought that I was an island as a business owner, especially as a man. I thought it was an island. I thought if I talked to other guys and told them actually, actually how I felt and the insecurities that I felt and, and the, uh, the, 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 the constant fear of failure that I had every single day in my gut that was inhibiting me from growing because I was making decisions based on fears, not on reality, right? If I knew back then that I could just turn a switch and shut that thing off and, and become so much more, yeah, it would have changed the goal back or changed everything back then, but it didn't, thank goodness, right? In God's infinite wisdom, it stuck in there for a while so that it, it gets really, really deep. And then later you can break that loose. But the point is, once I realized as I grew that we all struggle with the same thing, men and women, they do the same problems. Am I enough? What are they going to say? Uh, what if I fail? Am I going to be a failure? If, you know, especially running businesses in the beginning, you know, it is an immense amount of time an immense amount of time to start it out. You know, only crazy people, you know, quit a 40 hour week job to, to put in 80 or 90 with no guarantees, right? Only crazy right. people do that stuff. And right. uh, so you sit there and look back and you're like, well, why, why would I even do that? It was because my freedom was at stake. I want to be free. I want to be able to live life on my terms. And the first thing I need to do is to break out of some of that mental you know, gadgetry or that mental prison that comes as part of that. But anyway, so as you get moving forward, you know, I started to realize that and started to dive deeper into life, into finding mentors and reading and starting to open my mind up to what was possible. It's about the time that I met my wife and she was already way ahead of me in this game. So she taught me a lot about, you know, um, mindfulness and about uh, abundance and, and focus and pre-planning and pre-paving and, and all this mindset work that I do now, a lot of it comes from, from her and from the things that she learned in school and in life. So once I opened up and became honest and somewhat vulnerable to these things, everything changed. So for me, my journey has been anything but a straight line. And the more I open up and the more I help people get what they want, the more I get what I want. You know, it's, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful way, but you got to give first. It's always value first. Now, before you kind of, you know, underwent that mindset shift, what was your relationship with money? Well, that's a great question. So my relationship was money was always scarcity. There was never enough. Right. And I didn't trust myself with it either because I didn't grow up with any, so I didn't know how to manage it. So was that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I know now I can look back and say it was the best thing could ever happen. But during the time, it's really tough to kind of be, have that kind of deep introspection where you'd be like, oh, in five years from now, this will all be different. Like, you don't know that. All we know is the past. And hopefully you're somewhat present to know what's going on right now. But the future is all a construct of, of your mind prepaving what the past was. And that's bullshit mm -hmm. because you don't know what's coming next. So if we live in that constant paradigm of trying to forecast the future based on our past, that's a problem because we're not good at it. And we constantly keep putting ourselves back in boxes and smaller mindsets. So 
you know, with money, it became something that once, you know, especially running a business where, you know, the outdoor living world, we'll do projects that are six figure projects. And, you know, yeah. in the beginning, when we were getting checks for $10,000, I could not believe Noah that people had $10,000 sitting in an account somewhere that they would spend on their backyard. Like that blew right. my freaking mind because I didn't have that kind of money. I didn't, like, I didn't even know anybody with that kind of money. And the next thing you know, we're doing bigger projects as things go on. And, you know, because we, we keep pushing, we're pioneers, we're constantly keep pushing and pushing and pushing. We're like, hey, well, we can do that in this, that, this, and this, that, 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 this, this, and this. And pretty soon these projects started to grow. And, and we hit, you know, uh, six figure projects. And I, then it even blew my mind more when they said, wait a minute. I, I said to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, these people have $100,000 sitting in an account? I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, what would I do with $100,000 sitting in an account? Like, what, think about what could be done. Like, I couldn't even get my head around that. Then, then they would actually take it and prioritize it into building a backyard. I mean, I know people with houses that weren't even, you know, this is years and years ago, 20 years ago, you know, that were, were only $100,000. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know. It, it, because I didn't come from that world of glitz and glamour, it's, it was a big shock. So for me, the mindset side is so tied to your personal worth. Whatever you think you're worth is what you'll end up, you know, bringing out of the market. And if, if you're having a problem selling high ticket, it's because you don't feel you're worth it or you don't feel that your offer is worth it. And most of the time it's because you're thinking too much about yourself and not enough about your client, right? That's really the bottom line. Mm-hmm. If you keep thinking about yourself, you know, most of, most all of our suffering, Noah, comes from focusing on self. And when right. we get outside of it and this becomes a, 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 transformational focus to your client. Like how does my offer transform their lives? And if that becomes the question that burns in your soul every day, how can I do it better to transform their lives even better in the way that they see fit being the best way forward? How can I be that conduit to help them to do that? The more you ask that question and less about how much more can I make from these people? That's when it all shifts. Mm. Mm. So, 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 Walk me through that process, Joshua. Like, like, was it a process for you or was there one day where you, you know, talked to your, your wife? I know she's a chiropractor, right? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, interestingly, one of my big, um, mentors when it came to, to finance here in the Green Bay area is actually a chiropractor as well. Um, and that's a fascinating industry. They, they, you know, but anyways, um, so, so what was it like? Was it one day it was like a light switch and you realized your worth and you were capable of charging people a higher rate or was it through trial and error? Was it through, you know, exercises or, or meditation? How did you kind of achieve that, that shift? Long, hard road, brother. Cause as soon as I'd get a little further and I'd say, you know what? I know we have a premium product. We have a premium service. We are, we're making a massive impact in their lives. We're doing it in a way that nobody else is doing it. Right. That's, that's all mostly self-focused except for helping them in their lives, of course. Right. Once I started to shift that out, then it, into more of how can we be the best, you know, uh, guide to the client constantly, then that started to help me shift, but it's been a long road because I will get two steps forward, start to feel that. And then two steps would fall back. I'd either have this negative chatter in my head saying, who do you think you are? Or you'd lose a bid to somebody else. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh crap, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. You know, right. if anybody knew how much crap was going on in my head right now and how much I don't know about what's coming that they would think I'm crazy. Right. So it's, it's constantly like two steps forward, one step back. But the beautiful part about that, it's two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, you still get up one step ahead each time, right? And that accumulates over time. And eventually you realize that if you can add enough value up front before ever asking for a dollar via social media, via blog, via podcast, via something 
that gives value to your clients first, they will definitely dig deeper into their pocket to, to get you to do the work. Because what they're doing is they're connecting with another human being, not a product or something that's easily uh, purchased somewhere else. Like if you're selling widgets, for instance, right? I'm just going to use that big old wide term, like a widget. Yeah. And your widget is not obviously different than somebody else's widget. You're going to constantly focus on price because they cannot see a clear differentiation between the two. The difference between your product or your service and the other guy is you. And God only put one of you on this planet. So own that. Own your gifts that he given that he's given you and get out there and just be you give as much value as you can. Don't don't focus on what you're going to get in return. Just focus on giving the value, because when you give it first, that's when you're going to receive later. Mm. Now, and, and for me, when I when I was first starting out, Josh, I realized that the highest paying clients I had were the least obnoxious. <laughs> mm. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, um, you know, if, if again, just cheesy example, if somebody tried to sell you a bottle of wine for $10, you would say, this is shitty wine. I'm that's not worthy of my dinner guests. I'm not going to do it. So I, one of the things that I found early on is that, um, you know, your price really does kind of say something about, uh, your worth, you know, whether you mean it to or not. I mean, you know, um, if, if you needed to hire a criminal defense attorney, would you hire someone for $50 an hour or $500 an hour, probably $500 an hour, you know? So I don't know. Is that one of the things that you teach and you see too is, um, you know, clients perceive you as more valuable when you, uh, you know, request a worthy rate. I would absolutely agree with that. Yes. Uh, because just to your point, you're not going to go on Upwork to look for that defense attorney because you're going to find somebody who could possibly do it because they went to a weekend school somewhere, right? So you want the best, right? When it comes down to that. But certain things in our life, we don't care as much about quality, let's say, right? Uh, maybe a pair of socks. Like you're like, oh, well, it's just a brand. Doesn't matter. There could be better quality, but I'm not going to spend $78 a pair of socks when I can get them for 15 bucks and I'm just going to wear them out and lose them anyway, right? The washing machine's going to eat them. So what's the point? Yeah. Uh, so certain things have higher value and it all depends on what the use is going to be. If it's a runner, those socks are extremely important right? Because they're going to, they are absolutely part of their, their function. But for most of us who maybe don't run, that's not a big consideration, right? Or the same with the shoes that that runner might use. It's a high consideration at that point. So they, I bought running shoes before when I was running a lot. And I was like, I would spend two, $300 on a pair of shoes because I felt like it gave me an edge, right? It would be better for my body, better for my knees, all of that kind of stuff. So it really depends on what your, your client truly holds important to them when it comes to that. So yes, if defense attorney, you're in trouble, you're going to try to get the best person you possibly can. But if you're just going for a parking ticket, you're not going to spend 500 bucks for it. So, so much of it is coming from the need from the client. So understanding your client and having your thumb on their pulse, that is the important part to know what they need at the moment. And that changes with the economy, that changes with years, it changes all the way through. So always keeping your thumb on the pulse of your client and not focusing so much on your product or service, but falling in love with your client is the most important piece because that will, you can always gauge where you're going that way. And certain, we call them avatars, certain client avatars find more value in vacations versus buying a car, you know, versus a house or whatever it might be, or all those together. It doesn't matter. It's knowing what, where they're driven from, because if you have the best possible product or service out there, but you're speaking to the wrong people, it's all deaf ears. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I want to get into sales, you know, some tactical sales, um, strategy in a little bit, but I'm curious, um, Joshua, you know, in, in 
Let, let's talk about lead generation for a while, because one yeah. um, of the big things that I see and, and I'm sure you see with the um, outdoor living contractors that you you coach is this feast or famine mentality. Right. Like, um, you know, you might do something, you know, when, when you're desperate and you have no money coming in, yeah. you'll work like crazy on marketing, whatever that means to you. Um, but then when you know, you have money and the, the jobs are coming through and you have a good client base, then you'll stop marketing. And some of those clients will churn, um, which is just a fact of life for many in the service based industry. And you'll have no money and it'll be this vicious feast or famine cycle. So, you know, we we, the, we can go whichever direction you'd like with this question. We can tactically get into some lead generation tips, you know, in terms of sourcing new leads and clients that that you've um, witnessed in your businesses. Um, but I'd love to just kind of leave it open-ended and, and get your thoughts on, you know, how do we overcome that feast or famine mindset with a steady flow of right fit prospects? That's what everybody's after. Yeah. So I think Peter Drucker says it best, you know, what he says is, you know, I'm just going to use the landscaping world. You can put in any, any, you know, yeah. uh, type of thing you're doing. So we are not landscapers who market, we are marketing companies who landscape. Mm. Big difference, right? You, can you feel Big that difference? difference? Oftentimes, right. my first 20 years of business was exactly the first one. It was, I'm a, a landscaper, outdoor living professional, and I only advertise when I need work, right? So in the right. spring, it's almost always busy. So why would you advertise then? Summer gets a little slower. So we'd pump up some advertising after we made some money in the spring. Come fall, maybe we still have some people flowing in from some of that advertising. Come winter, we're not spending any money because every year it felt like once we paid taxes in the spring that we were starting a brand new company back up from zero, right? right. It was, it was right. that same cycle for years and years. I'm like, there has to be a better way. There's no way these gigantic companies, and I didn't have any you know, mentorship back then I was the Island. I was like, I had to figure it out on my own. I'm it's a stoic individualist and I have to figure it out on my own so that I can take all yeah. the credit for all of this shit. Right. So anyway, yeah. I realized that that was no way to go. Once I started to find mentors and started hiring coaches and all that, then I, my mind was opened up to everything, but I learned along the way that that quote that you are not, you know, you are not a, a landscaper that markets. You are not a, a home improvement person that markets. You are not a widget maker that markets. You are a marketing company first that happens to landscape or do home improvements or build widgets. And when that changes, when you start looking at advertising and marketing as the center of your business, everything changes. And it has, it has for me and, and all the different things that we do. It's so powerful. Now, you know, okay, now I just have to have a constant flow of content out there. That's just what it is. So the next question is, all right, you're a busy professional running one or more than one company. How do you do that? Well, you do it in bite-sized chunks, right? You do it. That's why we started Brand You is to be able to help to your entrepreneurs and coaches do this because they're busy out changing lives. You know, it'd be nice if, what if we just got together maybe every three or six months and shot a day or two, three days of content and then just dripped it on you for months and months and months and you don't think about it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. We create that. We create the brand story is one of the things that we do there. It's creating this story, this, this three-minute um, video that tells you about you, Right, because what I, what most people don't want, most consumers aren't so interested in what your company can do. That company can do for them. It's more about the connection to the individual, right? And not in every mm. business, but for the most part, it's the connection right. to the individual right, right, right. that's pushing the the envelope. So that think about it. Like when say you hire somebody to come out and put new windows in your house, and three different companies come out, you only get to meet the salesperson typically, right? So they are a representation of the entire company. And you have to make a decision at that point based on how you felt 
and maybe what price they gave you and what timing, things like that. But a lot of it's an emotional thing. Most people buy this stuff emotionally. So if they didn't like the salesperson, but they had the best price, there's a high probability they'll probably go with the one they liked a little more and pay a little bit more somewhere in the middle. Like most people usually pick the middle to be safe. So they're not going low. They're not going high. They don't have to live with the regret of making stupid decisions or decisions that are just based on price. So they'll probably pick the middle. They do that in the supermarket too. So mm-hmm. reality is like, how do you position yourself to, to be that? How do you position right. yourself to be that and know what your clients want? And that's when I go back to the idea of keeping your thumb on the pulse of those clients, knowing what they need, knowing your avatar. And it takes a little bit of work to do that, to know that you're you know, your family that you, that for instance, for us, you know what I mean? It's like there, there's typically four people in the family, you know, husband, wife, two kids. Uh, they drive decent vehicles, if not nice ones, their house value is probably 500,000 or more. They're either entrepreneurs, they're in healthcare or they're in finance. Um, they, they value family time. They are very more in, or extroverted. They have more parties and get togethers. They want to live a, a more success looked like life. And so if that's the case, then we need to speak directly to them. Right. And know that that's not our person. The guy in the trailer is not the guy that we're talking to. And there's no disrespect there. My point is that we have to know who we're speaking to. And then when we do that, we have a much better idea. So with the idea that we are a marketing company that uh, that landscapes, now we can start thinking about, all right, now, how does that client engage you? Because there's a lot of landscaping companies out there. Right. And if that's the case, the only way the thing that's going to differentiate, like I mentioned before, is you or your team. So a brand story, and I'm bringing this full circle. No, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, the brand story actually helps the client get to know you before and not just the fun, fluffy stuff that you get like, oh, I started this business and I did, we do this and this is what we do and this is how great we are and this is how we can help you and like all that crap. It's outward. It's all self-focused to the business. It's the other way around and say, look, we've struggled a lot. Here's what we've done. Uh, here's how this can impact your life. And if you're interested in working with, you know, somebody like us, just human like you, and maybe we have similar things that we've done in our life that you can relate to, you make, it makes you much more relatable, not through a, a, a screen of a company, like buying the emblem versus actually investing in the people in that business. So it helps bring that, that personal nature to, uh, to that conversation. Hmm. You know, that that's that's just it, isn't it? Isn't it, Joshua? I mean, you can have like the best pitch deck in the world. You can have case studies and statistics and people who have used our service have made this much money. But it really does come down to human connection. That yes. means more than anything. Um, especially, every- you know, especially now when everything is so disconnected with social media. Everything is at a distance. People have a harder time. Younger generation is going to have a harder time even engaging other human beings because they don't do it through a face-to-face contact like I did when I grew up. Everything. We went out and dating. I had to face the girl face-to-face and talk to her. I couldn't text <laughs> oh her. Gosh. I couldn't Tinder all that kind of crap. I didn't have any of that yeah. stuff. I had to actually get the gall up to go do it and talk to her and sweat and be all. And then she says no and deal with the the rejection and all. Like Now it's like yeah. you swipe right or whatever. I never did any of those things. But, you know, you, you do that stuff. Next thing you know, it's like it's just a free for all. You know, and then like that's right. not how we were raised. And that was the world we live in. But now that's the reality of life. I'm not, you know, ignorant to that fact. The point is that with that being the case, now there's still certain human needs that we have to get what we want and need in life. And, you know, social media is making that easy to get, but not very real, if that makes sense. So real, authentic mm-hmm. is, is the new, is the new gold, you know, being real and being, and being vulnerable and being like, I'm a human with flaws. I am not perfect. I've made all the mistakes. And I'm not going to sit here and say, I did it all right. Follow me. Screw that. No, people don't connect to that. 
They're like, well, right. it's, it's just too perfect. That's my life is not that way. Right. How would you describe that personal connection, Joshua? Because I, I believe that every decision we make is an emotional one, right? Like when it comes down to it, there's an element of emotion in every decision that a person makes. Um, you know, you talk about the subconscious and whatnot, but um, how would you describe that? Is it, is it about like, how would you describe that chemistry? Chemistry is probably a good word when you just hit it off with a client. Um, you know, I mean, like, how would you, how would you describe that? For example, I remember last year I had a sales call with somebody who ended up being my highest paying client for the year. And at the top of the call, I, I do some history podcasts as kind of a side hobby. Um, and the first thing that came out of his mouth on the call, I said, Hey man, how you doing? Uh, and he said, Noah, you know, I was just listening to my favorite podcast and that podcaster had mentioned your history podcast on the show. And then boom, like instant connection, two history buffs yep. going at it, closed yep. the sales call that day. So I don't know how you describe that, but um, yeah, t tell us your, your advice on that. Yeah. So what you're talking about is called rapport. It's one of the simplest foundational concepts within any kind of relationship. Now, not even sales, just in general, it's about making a connection. We as humans want to feel like the other person understands us. Right. You mentioned emotional buys. A lot of the stuff that we sell isn't logical, right? You don't right. need to have a thousand square foot of pavers in the backyard, you know, to, to survive. <laughs> it's not food. It's not water. It's not shelter. These are nice to haves. So a lot of this is not the, the actual thing they're buying, but the emotion that comes with it, those birthday parties they can have, all the pictures that'll be taken in those spaces. The fact that it's a success space when people come over and they looked and like, wow, Noah, you must be killing it. And they can feel good about themselves. That's all emotional. That's what they're buying. Now, there is logic. There's always logic that plays into this game, whether it's the cost side of things or the functionality or does it even make sense? Are we going to use it? And those are things that we talk deeply about with our clients to make sure they're on the right track. But so much in the very beginning is about rapport. People like to do business with people that they, they know, like, and trust. And that's where I mentioned before about if, if they've already watched content, whether it's on YouTube or it's your brand story, it's on somehow social media somewhere, or they saw you speak, or they saw you at a show, or they saw you somewhere, there's a connection. There's a higher probability of that client going further into your world if they feel like they're part of it, if they feel like there's a connection. You know, it's, it's, we already do it naturally. We feel like we have certain friends and all because we have shared interests. Maybe it's a, a people love football, right? Um, so if you have a certain team that uh, both of you like, and all of a sudden there's a shared understanding, there's a shared thing there. So we have to go into our conversations with clients and we teach our students this. It's one of the first things we teach them is how to build rapport on demand. Anybody can go to the grocery store and say hi to the girl behind the register and be done with it. Like that's pretty basic, but when you are focused on a, a um, transformational, you know, people talk about transactions. I hate that word transaction. This is about transformations always everywhere. Yeah. How can we help transform somebody's life? Even if it's a simple putting a smile on their face all the way to changing their backyard, all the way to, you know, uh, creating a better uh, audience for them to go out and speak to. Like there's just so many different ways we can do this, how to be able to close more projects, all of that. It all comes down to building that rapport. And we teach it through our step-by-step -step process in order to make sure that clients really know that you care, right? So often, this is going to be fun, Noah. All right, so yeah, <laughs> this will be a good time. So uh, when it comes to building rapport, most of the time, people think, uh, salespeople think that I need to come up with a bunch of good stories 
and I did keep them in my back pocket. So when I go to talk to Mrs. Jones, I can sit down and talk to her or, you know, whatever you're doing. And I'm just going to tell her all about my stories because the more I tell her about me, the more she'll connect with my story. Mm, right. That is so right. common. It's, I used to do it myself. I had stories lined up. I'd like, okay, I get in there. If she talks about this, I got this story. And so what I would do is I'd focus on, all right, I went and sit down with her at her dining room table. We talk about a project and pretty soon I'd see a set of skis in the backyard and, you know, in the, whatever on the wall or in yeah. the garage as we walked in, I'd be like skiing, you know, that's awesome. I just got back from Vail. Like we were out there for three weeks. We, we skied the entire time. We stayed in the biggest hotel. We did this amazing thing. The entire family flew in. We ate five-star meals the entire time and be like so where do you go skiing and she's like the the, the local hill over here the one right. that's like three miles away right and Damn. immediately how do you think mrs jones feels right less than yes yeah. and it she's happens out of the spotlight exactly because now you're trying to what we call one up them we're trying to one up them because we think and, and especially as guys we have this issue right we think that we're helping because look, we're like each other. And she's like, we're nothing like each other. Right. And we, we're trying to do it for the right reason. We're doing the wrong thing. So what we teach is that when you're building rapport, it is never about you. It is never about you. It is always asking open-ended questions and letting the client just open up. Let her or him just completely open up, ask them deeper questions. But rapport should be no more than maybe a minute or two. You don't want to go into hours of conversation and all that. Maybe that's certain spots that's good. But for the most part, people want to get down their brass tacks. They don't want to waste time and talk about what you did last week or the the, the nice, you know, bread you made in your, your outdoor uh, fireplace. Like they, they don't care about that stuff. They want to people want to talk about themselves. So give them yeah. a stage to talk about themselves by leading with great questions. And when you do that for a minute or two, people just start to open up and like, OK, because rapport is one of the first connections you'll have with somebody new, especially if it's a cold lead right? Or someone that reached out and you're reaching out to them. They're just like, do I like this person? Is the energy right? Do they sound like I can trust them? Yeah. And when you spin it around and you start asking and make it all about them, everything changes. It's They don't care about your skiing trip to Vail. They don't care that you golf every weekend. They don't care that you have a, you know, a 1969 Mustang sitting in your garage. They don't care about that stuff. They want to talk about themselves. Let them do it. Later on, when you built rapport and you're, you've got a, you know, a connection with them, you can, oh yeah, by the way, you know, have you ever taken a look at this or have you ever gone there? And like, you can build that, but in the beginning, it's all about them. Yeah, no, I'm to the point, uh, where when I do sales calls, Josh, like, you know, you hop on the sales call, um, you know, there's that kind of initial interaction, you know, Hey, where are you based? Oh, green Bay. Oh yeah. How's the weather and all that. But then when, when the conversation flows mm -hmm. and I ask the client questions, I'll look at the, the clock. Cause a lot of times the meetings are recorded for me and it'll be like 15 minutes in. And I realized, yeah. holy shit, yeah. I only talked for the first two minutes yeah. and they just talked for the next 13. And that is when I know that I've done everything right. When the client is opening their heart to me, yep. potential client, you know, and, and I'm just listening and I have this genuine curiosity. Yes. So, you know, I, that's what it's all about. hundred percent. And also to guide. And that's the main thing. You know, what they're looking for is someone who's been down this path before and that can guide them to the gold fastest, right? That's the goal with the least amount of pain. 
And so if you can resonate with that and you can, you know, emulate that, that energy and that focus, that's going to help a lot. You know, it's all about the confidence side of things and, and being competent in what you can do and all that. And, and to, to your point, letting them talk about themselves makes them think like, you know, this guy's actually pretty good. He actually cares about me. This is pretty cool, you know, and, and to not try to one up them and feel like you're in somewhat less because they're talking the most. And that's, that's the thing. So we always say it this way. You want to be a detective when you're asking people questions, just open it, excuse me, how and what questions questions that'll get you answers don't ask questions that'll give you yes and no responses because they don't go anywhere so right. how and what questions are your main ones you know and and you were you're exactly right we always have people start off with you know hey did you get a chance to go out and enjoy this beautiful weather today and then somebody they're like you know everyone can talk about it and the funny part is if it's snowing out people love it or hate it like and you start some kind of a banter in a report it's the most <laughs> basic it is dumb i know it's dumb and it's like no one cares about that but everyone does and they can all talk about it because they're just as feeling just as awkward as you are at this point because they've never met you before possibly. So when you say that and you for us, we want to make sure we get both decision makers on the phone. So we always have to make sure we call it reaching through the phone and speaking to the other person too. So if you're talking to Mr. Jones and you're like, Hey, Mrs. Jones, you get a chance to get out and enjoy that beautiful weather. And we always say when you're building rapport, never ask questions about things you know nothing about. So we get like a questionnaire back in, or we have some sense of if there was a referral or something, but we want to create on a commonality. And that commonality is if, for instance, I'm not a golfer, right? I've never stepped foot on a golf course. I've driven by them. That's about as close as I've been. So I would never go into a deep conversation about golfing because I wouldn't be able to, to even help ask questions that would make any sense. Like what kind of sticks do you use to hit the balls in the hole? Right? So it would, it would be obvious that I'm trying too hard. So I would find something that is common. And something that I can speak into so I can ask uh, intelligent questions toward it. And that helps open them up too. So it's it's always making sure you're being authentic and you're not trying to be something you're not because that'll come across really quick that you're a fraud. And the, all that they're focused on right now, all their spider senses are after, is this guy trustworthy? Is this woman trustworthy? Are they going to actually perform? Do I trust them? So stay in your lane with that stuff. Yeah. Now, now let's, uh, you know, let's talk about some, some red flags, right? Because, and we, again, this kind of has something to do with the feast or famine mindset that a lot of uh, service-based entrepreneurs are in is, you know, I've been in sales calls early on in my career and there are just red flags lighting up everywhere. The client says something and I'm like, man, that is just a horrible misalignment of expectations. Um, You know, they're arguing about the price, you know, they're doing this, they're doing it. But when you are in a non-abundance state of mind, it is really hard to reject a potential new client that's slapping a big bag of money on the table, you know? Mm. So how do you navigate, you know, red flags in a sales call? First thing is first is in life. I've learned this the hard way. You get what you tolerate simple, simple, simple. So if you want more of those clients that are a pain in the ass, that are constantly so demanding and their money's always greener, keep saying yes to them because the universe is going to keep sending you more of them. You get what you tolerate. So once you put up that, that fence, if you will, around yourself and say, look, I only want to work with people who are grateful. I only want to work with people who understand the value that we bring to the table. I only want to work with people who truly have the same mission I have to, to be able to move forward. Those things tend to fall away over time. You know, those people, those demanding ones, the big bags of money is great, but is it really worth it at the end of the day? So what is the game? What is success? What are your rules around success? Is it the guy with the most money in his bank account or is it the guy with the most love in his heart? Is it the guy that can go to sleep every single night knowing that he's making a big impact in in people's lives and the money will come. My father taught me that very early on that, you know, the money is always a side 
benefit. It's not the focus. And that is that premise, that's that rule in my mind where it's not the main focus has really helped me say no to those people. And in the beginning, it was very, very difficult, you know, to say no, because I figured, you know what, Noah, out of what, seven, eight billion people on the planet, they called me. And what if, yeah. what if I say no, are they going to write me a bad review? Are they going to tell me that I'm, are they going to yell at me? Are they going to like, what are they going to do? So I yeah. always just said, okay, sir, whatever you want. And they started treating me like garbage and the red flags came up and I'm like, I just swallowed. I'm like, well, I gotta, I can handle this. There's plenty of money in here. The money will make it better. And every single time it didn't. Every single time I questioned my decision to move forward. Yeah, I might've had the money, but I, I didn't have any self-respect. I didn't have any, you know, any, any, um, you know, any value in that sense. So what we eventually did was starting to do, we, we teach our students how to do this is called the graceful exit. So if we start to, you know, first thing you can't come into any sales scenario, uh, you know, on your knees begging for work because you're just right. going to take everything then. And that's just what it is. You have to separate yourself back to the money mindset side. I would rather go without now so that I can have a, a blissful, joyful future as opposed to having to live in the shit now just so I can have money in an account. Again, you, which you tolerate. So we help our students be able to find those red flags as we're moving through and how to gracefully exit the engagement so they don't have to focus on, you know, what six months. Because in our world, it could be a week you could work with a client. It could be a year you're working with a client. And to be able to tell them no in a graceful way that saves the integrity of both sides. Right. So it would go something like this. So if we were working together and and um, we we're on a call and I, I did sense that either the budget was way off or, you know, their expectation was 10,000. It's going to cost 100 to do it. And they're just no budging on that. And there's just no physical way it's humanly possible to do what they're doing or they're yeah. just a complete mismatch when it comes to personalities. And that happens. You know, I'd say, yeah. I'd say look, Noah, you know, based on what I've heard so far, I honestly think you're going to be better served working directly with a mason or with a blank or with a blank or with a blank or even another landscaper. Um, because I honestly want you to get the very best from this project. And I don't believe that we're a good fit for that. So uh, your best bets to go out to either Angie's list or house or to you Google and take a look around. There's gotta be some great other people in our area, but for, uh, you know, at this point, I'm, I don't want to move any further forward and I wish you the very best on your project. Okay. And that's that, but that decision has to be made at that point, And we just let them go. And you'd think people would be like, um, oh, what do you mean? You don't want to work with me? And all that 99% of people don't say anything. They're just, they're just thankful that you didn't waste their time. Because the last thing they want is for you to spend yeah. another how many weeks or so dragging them along and in our world. Okay, we do you know, a lot of bid build work and things like that you know, in, in, in sense. So what people don't want to do is spend all this time, weeks or months looking through designs and bids and all that stuff. And at the end, you just like, oh, I'm just not going to give them a proposal or I'm just going to ignore them or ghost them later. And then they sit there expecting you to do something and you don't. And that's when you get the bad reputation. It takes guts. It takes confidence to tell them no up front. But think about how much integrity you're saving of your own and of theirs too. So again, we're trying to serve our clients. We're not trying to railroad them. So if somebody doesn't work, you just tell them it's just isn't working. I'm sorry. Um, at this point, I think it'd be better if you were working with somebody else and uh, wish you the very best. It's a very nice way to let them go. And we actually get referrals from doing exactly that because people are like, thank you. They thank us. Thank you for not wasting our time. Thank you for shooting us straight. Thank you for not dragging me, dragging this out for months. That's what they say. So if, if you're having that, just say, guys, look, I honestly don't think we're the best fit for this project. You can give whatever reason you want. Honesty is always the best policy, even if it hurts. Yeah, man. Yeah, Joshua, this has been so valuable. Um, you know, last thing I want to hit on uh, in the sales conversation before we shift is at Yes Express, you teach specifically outdoor living contractors how to sell on the worst day of their life. Yes. 
what does that mean? How does somebody sell on the worst day of their life? Well, I know being in the field for as many years as I was that by the end of the day, my phone was lit up. The office phone was lit up. I got back after working all day long in the heat, in the mud, in the rain, all of that stuff. I get back and I'm like, oh crap, got five calls to make tonight. I just want to go home to see my family. I just want to go out to eat with my kids, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. And, and just like you're done, you're exhausted. It has just been one hell of a bunch of months. Anyway, it all culminates in one night. It always does, at least a few times a year, at least we did for me. And so with that being the case, you're sitting there and you're like, I got to make this call. I'm just going to skip like half the stuff I normally ask. I'm just going to go right to the bread and butter and then see if these clients are wasting my time or what. Right. So you right. get in there. Hey, what are you looking for? How much money you got to spend? All right, cool. It's close. I'll be out on Saturday. Right. And that kind of thing. And, and the problem is that's how most of the industry works because they're just exhausted. Our industry is full absolutely chucked full of extremely hardworking, dedicated human beings, dedicated, hardworking people who don't charge enough because they don't stop and say, wait a minute here. First of all, to the beginning of this podcast, what is my value? What is my main value add? And on top of that, when you start to professionalize how you communicate with people and you don't wait until the very end of the day like that to have those calls and you're going in and you're skipping parts and then you're, next thing you know, Three weeks later, after the proposal's been given out and they say yes, then you find something else that's going to about their personality or about the project that's going to lose you money or make you just extremely unhappy, like all that stuff, because you skip steps. Um, I did it over and over again until I realized I had to start creating a process or a structure that we do each and every time and everybody goes through it. And when they go through this simple process, then I know that even on my worst day, I can turn my brain off. And I can still go through this structure. And I know by the end, I've got a 95% surety that this project is going to move forward. And we do that on the phone before we ever leave the office because we have a, a, a mantra here in our office. It's it's zero drive time, right? We, we want to drive to places that we that we know are going to turn in the projects and not waste time because we, we service up to two hours from our doorstep, from the office, right? Two hours. And if we drive out two hours to find out that they didn't want to pay for a design or that they don't have a budget for the project or they didn't even want what we have, and then I have to drive back two hours, that could be an hour meeting. That could be five hours in my, sorry, yeah, five hours of my day completely shot a whole half a day gone for nothing. So the goal yeah. is how do we do most of this vetting and most of this expectation setting in the office? So that's the system we've created to do that. It's, it's absolutely exploded our business and it has to others around the country as well as we continue to train and continue to you know serve and give this information out. And it's it's been such a, such a blessing along the way to be able to share what we've learned. Man, well, Joshua, this, this has been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, how to successfully sell on the worst day of your life, how to know your value, um, you know, talking about a relationship with money. This has been great, but I want to shift our conversation now and ask you, you know, something a little more personal. You've been an entrepreneur for many years, decades, you know, your business partner, you know, uh, and a mutual friend of ours, Zach Day, he's a lot younger than you. I'm a lot younger than you. Um, you know, it, so as, as somebody who's in their 20s and isn't where you are, I, I'm just so curious, like, what is your mission? Like, how do you think of entrepreneurship today? What what makes you you know, you've made the money, right? Like you've you've done it. Um, you've closed those six figure projects. You know, it's the, the things that people, young entrepreneurs in their 20s often dream about. You've done it all. But what's important to you now when you wake up in the morning? What? What makes you want to run out of bed and chase after it that day? 
That's a great question because that that same question I've asked myself throughout, like, what will it feel like when I'm finally successful? What does success even mean? Right, right. How do I quantify that? What are the rules around it? You know, there's so many things. Is it what everyone else thinks success is? The big house, the fancy cars, the two and a half perfect kids? Like, what is it? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, it's really getting deeper into that and figuring out what that is. And that's been part of my mindset journey is to figure out what that looks like, right? And for me, it's, it's joy and fulfillment every day, helping others. You know, I'm, my mission in life is to be the ultimate warrior for God and my family and to end human suffering one soul at a time. It's taken me, I'm 44 now, it's taken me 44 years to come to that mission. And I've bounced around all different sides of that throughout and found that sometimes in the beginning, my, my, my mission was just to make more money than my father did. And right. the next would be, you know, I, I got to be better than this person. But so much of those, so much of those or so many of those um, missions were self-focused when you go above self and you start focusing on a bigger mission of helping humanity through your businesses, your businesses become a vehicle for change for people on a grander level. And you could ever do just by yourself, by creating teams around you and all that. That's when the game changes is when it becomes not about you anymore. It becomes about the work. It becomes about the mission. Then you can start really growing. And that's anyone out there listening. I'll tell you right now, that's when it shifts. That's when life becomes so much more full, so much more joyful, and so much bigger than you. So if you're just focusing on yourself, you're going to find lots and lots of suffering. That's just what it happens. That's a human condition. But when you start yeah. focusing on others, you start thinking about how can I make that person's life better? How can I help more? How can I go to this event so I can learn more, so I can be more, so I can give more? So when it becomes about the giving and not about the getting, that's when life changes. Did you hit a point where it got old, you know, chasing after money, you know, trying to get the next six figures and that sort of thing? Um, how did you, you know, when did that shift happen for you? Yeah, so it's it did get old. I have in most of my youth, I had this this thing where I was always chasing shiny objects, right? It was like new yeah. project, right? And in, in our world, right. there are lump sums at a time. So we'll get a six figure project, we'll build it. And next thing you know, there's no money left. It all went to bills, went to payroll, went to something else. Then you need the next one. It was almost like a drug addict, constantly going for the next fix, the next fix, the next fix. And that's when I realized after reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and, and a bunch of other books about long-term cash flow and all this. And I'm like, I need to change yeah. this because I'm not going to be this, this project addict for the rest of my life where I always need the next project in order to keep this thing running. So I need to have a, a significant cash flow system running through that comes each month. Right. And it's not something that's going to show up my doorstep. I'm not going to, you know, just meditate into existence. You know, they might give me the framework, but it's not going to do the work. You got to do the freaking work. You got to pull your, roll your sleeves up and get it done. And if you don't know how to do it, you got to find people to do and get next to them because wherever they are is where you're going to go. Right. You become the aggregate of the five people you spend the most time with. And so pick your yeah. friends and your environment very, very wisely. I've learned that the hard way too. But the point is that once I realized that I was in basically a project addict, constantly having that project, and I would have to have that forever, then I was like, wait a minute here, something's got to shift. Something's got to right. shift. And I'm completely exposed to one market. And our market is so much, uh, uh, it's so emotionally based when it comes to buying. If economy goes down, one of the first things they pull is all this extra spending, which is outdoor living, because right. they don't need it to survive. We know people don't need it. They like it, but they don't need it. So how do I get into a sector? And that's when I started diversifying, you know, my interests into other things like coaching, like getting into building courses, like getting into real estate, like getting into media, like all of these different avenues are for, for, to be able to help more people, but also, you know, once you help enough people and you can also get back from that and then that helps with stability. 
So then stability was, was a major focus. And, you know, as of last year in May, actually one year ago, you know, I've retired the family. We're good to go. Right. And wow. the way that worked is because for two years, I just absolutely just bare knuckled the real estate world. And I didn't know anything about it when I first started into it. Right. I didn't, I didn't, and I was just blessed to find a great mentor who was way ahead of me and we just absolutely crushed it. Right. And it was, it's timing. It was absolute grit. It was all of those things. But the point is I knew deeper what I wanted to do. And when money wasn't on my mind anymore, because it's just there, everything changes when you stop thinking about that side. But most of the time we're, we're taught to learn, we've been taught by our parents or our environment that that's the main function. And you know what? Money is the lowest form of currency. The highest form yeah. of currency is relationships. You build relationships, the money will flow. So focus on helping people build relationships. I'll tell you right now, it took me way too long to learn that. And now my only focus is to build connections because that automatically will supply more money than you'll ever need. So it takes your money off. It takes your mind off the money and put your money, your mind back on what really matters is helping people. Wow. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with you, Joshua. So I had a, a situation happen to me one time where, um, it was the most profitable year that I had ever had in my podcasting business. And I hauled ass. Yeah. I worked nonstop. My parents were concerned because I wasn't hanging out with friends. I was skipping. Our family does a, a Sunday dinner every Sunday with my, my grandparents, you know, and those are really precious times. I was skipping those. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't going to church on Sunday. I'm a man of faith as, yeah. as you are. Absolutely. And um, tax day had rolled around the next year. And uh, Uncle Sam came knocking on my door and I had underestimated the amount of money that I made. And I made $50,000 more than I expected. And I had to cough up, what was it? 30 grand that I didn't think that I would have to pay. <laughs> and uh, man, God brought me to my knees, brother. Oh, he yeah. brought me to my knees because I had... I had turned my back on him and I had turned my back on uh, what he wanted me to do. And that's chase after him and make him known. So that's yep. just my, my plug, you know, for that. But no, I, I absolutely hear you, brother. That's uh that's great. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's, and it's funny how God will do that. You know, when, when you start getting into the weeds, he'll bring it back. He'll give you a couple of stings. That's what it's like. Dude, <laughs> I'm over here. I'm over here. You're, you're chasing money again. Cause it happens. You start, especially with, you know, a lot of stuff happening and, and acquisitions and selling. And you're like, wow, dude, just like a lot of money. Then all of a sudden this happens or that happens or a project goes bust. And next thing you know, you got to come up with 20 grand and you're like, wait, right. God, you're trying to teach me something to focus yeah. on the money again. I got to get back to the service side. And as long as you're aware and you are aware of that, thank goodness, most aren't aware of that. They just said, oh, I messed up. I messed up again. I'm an idiot. I can't believe I screwed up. No, just step back one step and realize that this is all God's guidance. He's teaching you something. You must learn these lessons or they will be repeated over and over until you get them. That's <laughs> just what it is. So the more perceptive you are at this, the faster that happens. Oh man. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, Joshua Gillo, this has been uh, a pleasure brother. And I'll put links to everything you're about in the description of this episode, brand you media. Yes. Express the outer spaces podcast, but we've covered a lot today and we've uh, you know, you've been a, one of the biggest mentors in my life, as I said, from the beginning, um, you know, before I really got to know you and you were a client of mine for a while, I would listen to episodes of the outer spaces podcast. I was like, man, that's, I've never heard this before. Um, I've never heard somebody, 
you know, talk about money in this way or, or business or family. Um, so, you know, you're a role model in my life, man. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more honored to be able to share this time with you today, but before we hang up, um, what parting thoughts would you like to leave the audience with? Well, thank you for that. No, it's been quite a blessing to be part of your journey as well. And to see all the crazy, amazing things you've done and to, to run for office and to, you know, your age, it just, I have such mad respect for that dude. And I believe you've, you know, you've set the, the, the ball in motion for something as it's coming. It's exactly the way it was supposed to happen. And I, I just have such respect for that at that age. I didn't have those, that kind of guts at that age. So I have mad respect for that. Uh, but as far as, you know, parting wisdom here or parting thoughts, um, I guess this would be a really good one for most people listening, right? Henry Ford said it best, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yeah. So it all starts inside the six inches of real estate between your ears. It's that simple. If you want to build confidence, you got to keep the, the, promises you keep you make to yourself it's that simple not the one so much and you're i'm a man of my word so if i say something it's done i know you are as well so that's just what it is but at the same time if you inside your head if you don't audio you know say them out loud and tell somebody no i'm going to come over at three o'clock i'm going to work out with you whatever right if i say in my head i'm going to get up at three o'clock i'm going to work out and then i don't there's one more time your saboteurs we call them sages and saboteurs the devils and the angels in your head right you're feeding those those saboteurs you're like yep see you fucked up again you didn't do it you didn't do it again and the next thing you know they win and they will run roughshod over your brain and they will constantly bring you down that's what they do but on the other side if you get up at three and you're like i don't want to i absolutely don't want to but i do and you're in the middle at work and you're like all right come get me now because you have no way you have no control over me Right. So it's constantly keeping the promises that you make to yourself. That's how you'll build confidence and then confidence with whatever you're doing too. the better you get at it, the more confidence you'll have. But keeping the promises you make to yourself is the number one piece. You can't lie to yourself. You can try, but you'll know it's wrong. You can lie to other people. But when you lie to yourself, your confidence erodes little by little. 